Friends, a year like none other has just ended. I don't know how to put it into words, but last Saturday in the LA Times, a cartoonist made a two-page depiction of the year 2020. It was depicted as an amusement park ride, a roller coaster. It, de it depicted the year with all the obstacles, the thrills, the chills, the ups and downs, the excitement and fear that you would have on a ride like that, naming all the things that were happening along the track as it went. It was interesting the way it was framed in terms of symmetry. It began with wildfires in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia that had begun in 2019 that lingered into January of 2020 and ended in the fall and early winter in North America with wildfires on our own West Coast in California, Oregon, and Washington. It began with the impeachment of a president for attempting to tamper with an election and a possible candidate. And it ended with a president attempting to tamper with an election that had just occurred. In between all of these events were the pandemic, the racial crisis in our country and our world, the economic crisis that grips our world and our country, as well as a contested election and all the campaigning that led up to it. All of this was sandwiched into 2020, but to see it was to experience that roller coaster experience that we all had. But what it didn't do was anyway depict the abnormal rhythms of life during COVID when you are sequestered with some or maybe alone and the rhythms of your life have to be rethought and readjusted. It is difficult to be patient when waiting for this to end. And we begin this new year still waiting for this to end. When we turn to the prophet Jeremiah in today's reading, we find Jeremiah in Babylon in captivity. He is offering advice to the Israelites that this is gonna take a while and the best thing they can do is not fight it, just ride it out and let it get over with as soon as it can, because God will in fact redeem once God feels that God has exacted the punishment necessary that brought the people into exile to begin with. On the other hand, there were other prophets wanting to silence Jeremiah. Don't listen to that negative person they were saying, it's all going to be over soon, and don't give in to the Babylonians. Don't, don't get soft. Don't back down and don't shut down. 
Keep things going and we'll get back soon. This is the dialogue that you see, this crossing of swords between Jeremiah and the other prophets up through the 30th chapter of Jeremiah. But in chapters 31 and 32, Jeremiah offers proclamations of consolation. Friends, yes, God is punishing. But God sees our lean times and will give us robust years. God has scattered, but God will gather. And God's promises will be fulfilled. We will be restored and redeemed. So in chapter 31, Jeremiah uses the image of a young virgin, a young woman, dancing before God, an offer of wholesome purity, of worshiping God for promises fulfilled. When our passage begins, the shift goes from a female image for Israel to a male image for Israel, that of the firstborn son, the one who gets the inheritance and the blessing, the one who will be given many things. You see, God will be bountiful in his redemption. God will be generous in in his restoration. Then the image of male and female as equal partners and being restored fully as the complete image of Israel. So generous will God's restoration be that even the priests will experience bounty. Even the clergy will experience the rewards of all people. So in the end, have this hope. Look to a broader horizon not just to today. Lift up your eyes, Jeremiah says, to the promises that are just out ahead of us. But be patient. Be patient. God is coming. The psalm that we began with this morning, Psalm 147, is a psalm written during the exile, but it speaks as if these promises have already been fulfilled probably given to the people to pray while in Babylon as a way of reinforcing the validity of these promises, to speak them as if they were already true. And what were those truths? That Israel has a special relationship with God. And Israel has a special relationship with God's creation. It is a blessing, especially for them. But at the same time, God's people, because of this special relationship, are a special blessing to all of creation. They have been redeemed to be be redeemers. They have been given blessings that they may bless others. The promise is not just for them alone, but for them and through them to others. This echoes what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Paul is talking to them about God's plan, God's plan for him, but also God's plan for all people. Paul uses the term mystery. 
God's mystery. Mystery, mysterion, was the term used by Christians to describe God's plan made manifest, God's reign made incarnate. This was expected to be through the covenanted people of Israel. But Paul came to the startling conclusion that it was not in Israel, but in Christ and through Christ for all people. This was the mystery. The the fullness of God's plan manifest was Jesus. And now that is manifest in God's people, the church, through the Spirit. And the Spirit is that which unites divided people, brings people together into wholeness, and gives them hope. So Paul says, do not despair. Do not lose heart. The promise, the pledge has been placed in your hearts through the Spirit, even has been placed in mine. And through my being blessed, I have been a blessing to you and to others. And so you can as well. We are blessed not just for ourselves, but for all, for all creation. Again, Paul, like Jeremiah, encourages the church at Ephesus to lift up their eyes beyond the immediate and look out to a broader horizon. Look out to the promises of God and the ark of their being fulfilled. John's gospel is similar, but oh so different. John's gospel does not look back to the covenant promises made with Israel by Yahweh. John's gospel begins by looking at God's nature before creation. John's gospel begins with a prologue, an overture. These 18 verses we read today function like an overture in a piece of music. It introduces all of the themes that you're going to hear throughout the gospel that will be not only introduced now, but brought back later and expanded and extrapolated and played with, and then all brought back together in conclusion of the gospel. Here, John does not reference the covenant but references the prologue to the Pentateuch, the the very opening of the gospel, of the book of Genesis, that is, in the beginning, God. But here, it's not in the beginning, God. It's in the beginning, the word. In the beginning, the logos. For Greek philosophers and Roman philosophers that followed them, the logos was the very wisdom of, of eternity, of which creation was a reflection. It was the very center of reality, this Logos. For a Jew, the Logos was a Greek word that referenced wisdom. The very wisdom was referred to in Proverbs, when wisdom was with God at creation, and God created through wisdom. Here, John is identifying Jesus as the Logos, the Word. A word for all people, Jews and Greeks. 
It is a word that gives life and light. It is a word that speaks the words of God when the word speaks. These are the themes that are identified in the first 18 verses. How Jesus is light and life and speaks the word of truth and God to all people. You can hear echoes of that in the other themes of the gospel that aren't mentioned here. Jesus as the living water. Jesus as the vine. Jesus as the bread of life. All of these things reflect the very nature of God who now dwells in flesh in Jesus. John the Baptist was somewhat a problem for the early Christians, simply because John's disciples and Jesus' disciples both continued after their death. And Jesus was baptized by John, which for some indicated a submission to John, that is, John being superior to Jesus. Each of the Gospels, in their own way, takes on this relationship of John to Jesus, as does John, the author of the Gospel here. So John the Baptist did not come to proclaim himself, but came to point away from himself to Jesus, who was the Word. It is John's purpose to point to Jesus so that we would see who the true Word is. What does this Word do? This Word offers hope. Hope because the Word is so intimate with God, so close to God that the Word reveals God. Yet at the same time, this Word is so intimate with us that this Word took on flesh. This Word, this wisdom of God, became like us. That we, by drawing close to the Word of God, might draw close to God. And through this nearness with God, might have life, a new life, a new birth, a new beginning and understanding of life. So, in this gospel, John lays out his image of the incarnation. It does not look at the details of manger, of virgin birth, of shepherds, or of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Herod, or the other characters that so often fill our Christmas pageants. John is looking at a wide screen shot, not of a further horizon, but of the universe in the sky. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As Irenaeus would say, God became flesh, that flesh might dwell with God. What a hope this offers us, knowing that even in our failing humanity, God continues to draw near to us because God's very nature is revealed in a God who relentlessly pursues all creation to redeem it, to restore it, 
to give it life. Friends, I have no idea what sort of roller coaster ride 2021 is going to be. I have no idea what we are going to be facing together in the coming months. I have no idea how any of us will cope once the Christmas decorations are put away, the last Christmas carols sung, the last Christmas music filed away in our Christmas boxes. I have no idea how we're going to feel when we return back to that normal of day in and day out of not being normal. But I invite you to lift up your eyes not just beyond this moment or even the horizon in which COVID ends, but the broader horizon that the God who created all has drawn near to God's creation. And throughout time, God has gone near to human beings, inviting them to be in relationship with that God. We have a God in relentless pursuit of us. When we feel down, when we feel like we can't go on, when we feel that we just want this to be over, remember that there is a God who is with us, sustaining us and supporting us. This is the promise of incarnation. This is the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. This is the promise of the Logos, the Word made flesh. This is the Gospel. Thanks be to God.